You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Good morning, Pines Church. By now, you've probably noticed that my beautiful voice wasn't singing in worship alongside of you. Uh, I am actually recording this, or I have recorded this two days previous. Um, I am currently in Colorado with my uh, father, who has fallen ill. Um, He has been diagnosed with stage four uh, Parkinson's and early onset dementia, and he had a uh, spill down the stairs, and uh, he, uh, an ambulance came, and he spent a lot of time in the hospital, and he's He's having to move in with my brother. He can't do anything on his own. And so I'm coming, I'm going to Colorado. I am in Colorado, which is weird because right now I'm not in Colorado. But when you're watching this, I am in Colorado. And uh, I'm helping uh, clean out their home, put everything in storage and get everything ready um, for him to be able to live with my brother. And so um, this is all happening in real time. So I do apologize that I couldn't be there with you in person, um, but please know that I miss and love all of you uh, dearly. And so, um, you know, I, I wanted to share a message with you um, in regard to something that I was, I've been experiencing in my own life as I've been processing um, this with my father. And I know that many of you um, have lost loved ones um, as recent as this week. And it feels like there's a season uh, uh, of a lot of pressures, a lot of opposition, suffering, uh, adversity. And um, Jesus told us not to be surprised when we face the fiery trials of life. And, And Jess and I were talking after last Sunday uh, and we were, we, we were just kind of processing and unpacking the day as we often do. And we said to ourselves, or to each other rather, um, man, there kind of seemed almost like, almost like there was a heaviness in, this, in the service, almost like there was a weightiness. And I, and I think, um, you know, there are seasons of mourning. You know, the Bible says to mourn with those who mourn. And so, but, I, but we're not called to camp there. We're not called to live there. Jesus's love is so transcendent that it meets us in the midst of whatever mess we find ourselves in, whatever suffering or sorrow that we find ourselves in. And I I want to be able to communicate um, and share that joy with you. I want you to also know that this isn't lip service. These are things and scriptures that I've been meditating on for myself. And, And these are things that I've shared in the past, but I feel like this is a now word for our congregation. It is certainly a now word for me. In fact, I'm filming this on a Wednesday. It's Wednesday. I'll give you the real time, 1023. And I just received an email from our children's school that a student had has taken their life, um, I believe last night. And so the teachers were meeting with the with the students to be able to help them unpack this to be able to help find God in the midst of this. And, you know, this is something as a parent, you never want to, to receive an email like this. Uh, you know, for a sixth grader, a seventh grader, an eighth grader to process that one of their friends isn't going to be in class with them anymore because they've taken their life. You know, we live in a fallen world. And so I want to communicate that there is hope 
And there is joy in the midst of this fallen world. And that the Holy Spirit promise us, promises us to comfort us in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of the storm. And so that's what I want to share with you today. I want to share with you a defiant joy that stares in the opposition of our enemy and promises a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so to open that up, I'm going to jump into 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. And the Bible says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Nothing strange is happening here. We live in a fallen world. We have committed our lives to the lordship of Jesus, inviting opposition in adversity from our enemy. Peter is saying, don't be surprised. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy. Everybody say wonderful joy. Uh, I think there's somebody in the back that didn't say it. Just kidding. Wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all of the world. There's so much in that scripture that I want to unpack. First of all, that we shouldn't be surprised. That this is normal for the believer to face trials and to face adversity. You need to, you need to understand that this is the normal way of living but not to allow it to rob you of your joy. Instead, you should actually be very glad when you find these trials. That word very glad, it's interesting because if you go into the Greek and you do a study on that, it actually means, are you ready? Very glad. It means the same exact thing. So think of it like this. I'll give you an example, okay? Just in case this isn't clicking for some of you. If you were selling your home for $200,000 and your realtor came back to you and said, hey, we got somebody to buy your home, you'd be glad. Oh, awesome, okay? We're gonna get $200,000. And they said, uh, not exactly. The realtor goes on to tell you, the, the buyer actually wants to give you $400,000 for your home well, then you would be very glad. And that is the language that Peter is using for us when we face trials, because that there is a joy made available to us in the midst of the storms of life. You know, Richard Foster, one of my favorite authors said this, it's joy, not grit, that is the hallmark of holy obedience. And so sometimes, you know, the world says when you go through a hard season, when you're going through a trial, you have, to, you have to bite your lip, you have to grind your way, hustle your way through it. But that is not true of the believer. We can have joy in the midst of these trials. In fact, James takes it to a whole nother level in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says this, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So again, you're going to meet these trials. Peter's telling us. James is telling us. Various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, it's testing your faith, it produces steadfastness. So the ability to endure. And let steadfastness have its full effect 
so that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. So these trials actually serve in us coming to completion, coming to a place where we lack nothing. I want to highlight that. If James tells us to count it all joy when we face trials, Peter told us to be very glad, that means that it's possible. It's not some kind of mantra that we work ourselves into and walk across the burning coals on the Oprah show. It's actually the vantage point of the believer of recognizing that when we go into these trials, just as a athlete goes into a gym, that they're coming out stronger as a result. And so the athlete looks at the gym as a stepping stone to them becoming complete or stronger. And this is the way as believers that James is advising us to look at trials. Not only is it possible to look at the storms of life and count it joy, it's actually commanded. Now, let me just say this. It doesn't mean that we deny our circumstances, but rather that we're not defined by them, okay? If you're standing in the rain, you're going to get wet. It's raining outside. And for you to argue, I'm not wet, I'm not wet, it's just foolishness, okay? But you can have joy in the midst of these trials. In fact, going back to the previous scripture in 1 Peter 4, 12, he says that you're that Peter is inviting us into the sufferings of Christ. There's this athlete that I follow. Her name is Amelia Boone, and she does these like death races and all of these difficult, difficult races, right? Where you have to navigate all of these obstacles. And she had this quote, and I thought it was the most amazing quote. She said, I'm not the strongest and I'm not the fastest, but I'm really good at suffering. Now, at first glance, you could say, what, is she some kind of masochist? Like, who enjoys that? No, what she said is, I've learned to find joy in strength in the midst of the suffering. In other words, I don't focus in on myself feeling sorry for myself. I fix my eyes on the prize of what's waiting on the other side of that trial, which gives me the ability to tap into that joy. And you know, Amelia Boone, I don't know if she's a believer, but that's exactly what Christ said for the, for the shame of the cross. He endured, the Jesus endured the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? That joy was me. That joy was you. That joy was everybody sitting to your left and to your right and behind you and who was in front of you. That's how Jesus was able to endure that shame and those trials. And now he's inviting us into that same suffering. So the question we have to ask ourselves is what is joy? Is it some kind of like mind, Jedi mind trick that we work ourselves into? Well, I would define joy as this. Joy is living in the awareness of God's goodness, faithfulness, and redemptive power. Now, even as I share that definition, you think, I've heard those words before. I sing those words. Yeah, I know that I should be doing that. But how many of you know there's a difference between knowing and living, right? We know 
I, I use this all the time. I know that if I cut out pasta and worked on my abs every single day, I could have a six pack. I know that, but I am not currently living in that reality. Why? Because I'm Italian and I love pasta. It's not in the cards for me, man. Okay, so there's a difference between you knowing something and living. We must live in the awareness of this truth, of God's goodness, faithfulness, and redemptive power, regardless of our circumstances. And we can never get over this. It's this revelation, it's this truth that gives us the power to endure the storms of life. See, Nehemiah 8.10 says this, it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Your strength isn't found in your any talent or physical ability that you possess, in your intellect or your experience, your strength is found in the joy of the Lord, the joy, the revelation of God's goodness, faithfulness, and redemptive power. See, joy is not only the distinguishing mark of a believer, Uh, joy is, is the distinguishing mark of a believer, and not only is it possible in all circumstances, it's expected. So let me just scratch that. I messed that up. Joy is, is the distinguishing mark of a believer, and not only is it possible in all situations, in all circumstances, it's actually expected. This is the, this is the hallmark of holy obedience. So how do we cultivate this joy? How do we, how do we get this joy into our lives? That's a really good question. Paul, so to open that up, I'm going to camp out for the rest of the message in the book of Philippians, which it's a really small book. I would encourage you to, to read it on your own. Uh, it was a letter written to the church of Philippi. Paul wrote this letter while he was imprisoned. And so I just want you to think about Paul for a minute. Paul at this point was in prison and he was facing possible execution. Okay. And prison to prison today Prison then was nothing like prison today, okay? Prison today is like, is, is a joke compared to what it was like that. They had the bread and the water of affliction, just give them enough to survive. It was, a, it was a dark place. And so he's writing this letter. He had been shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, and that was just from his enemies. Many in the faith were actually distancing themselves from Paul preaching out of selfish ambition and pride. Why do I share all of that context? Because if anybody was at rock bottom, it was Paul, okay? Paul was previously a terrorist, murdering and killing Christians in cold blood, rallying other people to, to the cause. He has this radical Damascus experience with Christ. He repents and gives his, submits his life to the Lordship of Jesus. Now he's responsible for writing the majority of the New Testament. He's going everywhere telling people about God. He's getting beaten. He's getting stoned. He's getting kicked out. And now the people that were coming alongside him are attacking him. And now he's in prison. And he writes these words in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. I love this because he's so confident in this command that not only does he say it once, but he says it twice. You ever have to tell somebody something and you're like, no, 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 I don't think you're getting it, okay? I'm going to double down on this and I'm going to say it again so that they make sure that you got it. This is what Paul's doing. 
Paul's doubling down on this idea of rejoicing. And what does it mean to, to rejoice, right? That word is found all throughout scripture. Re is a prefix. It means to repeat, to take joy in the things that God has already done for you. So what does that look like practically? I can tell you what it looks like for me, okay? When I wake up in the morning, okay, the first thing that I do is get a cup of coffee because that also is a source of strength and I probably have an addiction. You need to pray for me, but I get a cup of coffee. But once I get that coffee, I begin to recount, to remember, and to rejoice in all the things that God has done for me. Lord, thank you that I have a roof over my head. Thank you that I have a vehicle. Thank you for my beautiful children. Thank you for the, the calling to plant the Pines Church. Thank you for the friends that I have in my life. Lord, thank you that I met my wife in my cool water cologne, uh, <laughs> cardigan stage, frosted tips, listening to Creed season of life. That is a miracle unto itself. What am I doing? I'm enthroning God on my heart. So regardless of what the enemy has mounted against me for that day, I've already built, I've already fed on the faithfulness of God. And now those things seem small in comparison to all of me recounting the testimonies of God's righteousness, goodness, and faithfulness over my life. But it doesn't stop there. Because he goes on in Philippians 4.8, he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I want to I focus in on the word fix your thoughts on this. You only fix something if it's broken, right? And so if you're thinking the thoughts that you're entertaining on a daily basis don't line up under true, honorable, pure, lovely, then your thinking is broken. And sure, you may be able to get on with your life a little bit, but eventually you're going to break down. If you have a flat tire, you can still go forward. You can still drive down the road for a little bit. But if you continue to do that without taking care of that tire, you're going to eventually cause damage to that car to the point where you're not going to be able to drive it at all. And this is exactly what Paul is telling us. If our thoughts aren't lining up under one of these categories, it's eventually going to lead to our demise in anxiety, in depression, in fear. And that is not a place that we want to find ourselves, nor is it a place that God has destined us to be. And so we have to fix our thoughts. And 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us how. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Well, who takes the thought captive? We do. There's something that we do that causes our, that, that, that brings our thoughts under subjection to the word of God. And literally, if it doesn't line up under that, we are responsible to cast it out, to not give it mental real estate, to not give it our imagination. And sometimes that looks like just confessing the word of God over our situation because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Secondly, he says, think about these things. So when you, 
when you find things that are true, when you find things that are honorable, when you find things that are lovely, when you find things that are pure, meditate on those things. Think on those things. I don't think we spend a lot of time thinking, most of us. And that word meditate, I've shared this many times, it shouldn't scare you. It's not sitting crisscross applesauce and opening up your third eye. It's literally the digestive system of the soul. So it's, it's ruminating on that scripture, allowing it to go from your mind into your heart. The difference between knowing and living. See, why is this so important? Because the enemy wants nothing more than to rob you of your joy, to weaken you. And his hope is that in your weakened state, you will abandon your hope and trust in God and his word, that you'll walk away from it. And when you walk away from it, you become prey for the predator. You stop coming to church. You stop reading his word. You stop spending time with God. And now the enemy has isolated you from the pack, from your family, from your community. And you can begin to wreak havoc. And often the way that the enemy attacks us is in the mind, is in our thought life, which is why it's so important that we take control over what rattles around inside of our heads. See, we have been called to be ambassadors of Christ. And Jesus wasn't walking around riddled with anxiety and depression and fear. In fact, the Pharisees had a really hard time with Jesus because he was too joyful. He was having too good of a time, right? And this is, you know, and, and this reminds me of, of Psalm 1611. It says, in your presence is fullness of joy. So if there's a fullness of joy, that means you can be running on half a tank of joy or you can be running on fumes. But the way that you fill up your charging station, your gas station, if you will, is to be in the presence of the Lord. And when you find yourself skirting into depression and anxiety and fear, it's an indicator your gas light is turning red that you're not in God's presence, that you begin to take steps away from God, not being in his word, not being in the fellowship, not spending time with him in prayer. And so that means you need to come back into the church, into prayer, into worship, into study so that you can fill your joy tank. See, Tertullian, a great father in the faith, said this, the closer one comes to God, the more joy is experienced. Joy based not on circumstances or passion, but the joy of the Lord that comes from knowing him. Joy is not based on our circumstances. Joy, true joy, comes from being in relationship with God. And so this has been a hard week for me, and I know that it's been a hard week for many of you. And the Bible says that we're going to have hard weeks. We're going to face trials, but that we can transcend those trials and tap into the joy of the Lord, which is our strength and gives us the power to endure those storms. So I'm preaching to me just as much as I am preaching to you. See, joy is a fruit of the Spirit that ripens or matures as we spend time with other believers in fellowship, 
as we spend time in studying God's word, as we spend time in worshiping God, and as we spend time in prayer, connection to God. So don't believe the lie that joy can only be experienced in the absence of pain. God's joy is large enough to meet us in the brokenness of this fallen world. And it gives us the power and the strength to endure. So I want to encourage you to meditate on these scriptures, to fix your thinking. This is how Paul this revelation that he gives us in the prison cell, not knowing if he's ever going to see another human being, he, he highlights joy 15 times in this letter alone, is able to say at the end, while he's facing execution, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And what is that strength wrapped in? The joy of the Lord. That joy isn't made available for a select few. It's literally our inheritance as sons and daughters of God. Yes, it's true that there is a time to mourn, but there is a joy in the midst of the mourning that is made available to us. It is our strength. It is our connection to God. And I want each and every single one of you to walk in that defiant joy that can stare down any seemingly impossible situation and overcome and come through with a fullness of God's presence. I want to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every single person under the sound of my voice. Lord, I wish so much that I could be with them there in person, but I know that your Holy Spirit is in that theater. And I ask that you would touch the hearts of those that are heavy, that those that are weighed down, that they would be able to give you those emotions and those thoughts in this beautiful exchange for your joy, for your peace. I pray that you would touch their hearts. I pray that you would show them how you're with them in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial. Lord, I ask that this would be a body of believers that's marked by the joy of the Lord. I pray for this revelation to grow inside each and every single one of our hearts. I pray that it just wouldn't be rattling around in our mind, but it would take root inside of us. Lord, I thank you that you are here and God would give you all the praise and all the glory because you are so worthy and it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray, amen.
Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. You are dismissed. Have an amazing Sunday and I will be back next Sunday and I can't wait to see all of your beautiful faces in the flesh. Until then, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.